Today we focus the first chapter of the story, the focus of the first chapter of the story. It's actually the first 11 chapters of Genesis, 1 through 11. And it's one of the most important, one of the most crucial scriptures in order to understand the gospel and in order to understand the entire scope of scripture. Remember that the story of the Bible is one. It's not a multiplicity of different things, but rather it's all in one accord declaring one idea, the love of God, His redemption, and what He's doing in humanity. But Genesis 1 through 11 shares with each and every one of us, with those who read it, one of the most, some of the most important answers to life. Some of the greatest responses to some of the questions, most common questions, to why we believe in God today. I want you to know, even as we begin today, and we discuss this today, that it is okay to question. It is okay to reason. It is okay to wonder. It is okay to battle with faith. The reason why I believe it's okay is because God is not against research. God is not against seeking. God is not against truth. I believe that if we seek, we will find. And I believe that if you read Genesis 1 through 11, God gives us some of the greatest answers, some of the greatest uh, rebuttals people have to belief, to faith in God. Now, before we dive into that scripture, I want to remind you that we've already declared here at the church that we believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God. So that means to us that we don't make excuses for what the Bible says, even when we don't understand or have a complete dialogue on a matter or a complete declaration of something and that doesn't change in regards to creation we haven't gotten to a point where we feel like the creation account in the bible has no relevance today actually opposite the more i seek the lord the more convinced i am that he is creator so as we dive into this portion of scripture as you dive into this portion of scripture i pray that you would consider how some of these answers uh, what some of these answers are uh, to life, who we are, who is God, why, why this world, why sin, what's the purpose of life? believe that a lot of that is found in Genesis chapter 1 through 11. And what I want to do, instead of focusing on the whole breadth of that text, what I want to do is just deal with some of the topics that this portion of Scripture gives us, basically by hopefully answering some of the rebuttals and some of the questions that we all have had at one point in regards to God. Number one, if God exists, if God is who he says he is, how come I can't see him? I don't believe in God because I don't see him. How many of us have ever heard that? Well, that's a great question. I think it's something worth considering. Some would say, I don't believe in God because I don't see him. When you look at the claims of the Bible, God makes some incredible claims there about how he created the world, some incredible claims about who he is and how we're supposed to live, right? Some incredible claims about expectations. So how come this incredible God who made the universe is unseen by us today? Before I answer that question, let me just say this. You know, it didn't start that way. The Bible doesn't paint a picture of a God who was unseen, but rather God was very much present and visible to those who surrounded him. 
Genesis chapter 1 and so forth teaches us that Adam and Eve were in the presence of God, that they knew God, that they walked with God in the cool of the, of the day. So Adam and Eve, even when you look at the word knew or know, it, it, it's just us trying to relate something that we cannot even comprehend today. How did they know God? How did they experience God? How did they see God? How did they feel God? How did they walk with God in the cool of the day? Amazing. And even after that, we know that Adam's children also experienced God and that they saw God. Cain and Abel, they encountered God. And there they were also in the presence of God. Even after sin, God was there in the midst of his people. Obviously, apparently, according to scripture, very much visible to his people. There's another story that always grabs my attention. I remember as a little boy uh, grabbing this book, uh, this storybook that was given to my sister and reading it in the hiding of the greatest story I've ever heard of my life other than the story of Jesus. And that's the story of Enoch to me as a little boy. And the way this book said it was like this. Enoch was a friend of God and they were really close. I mean, they were so really, really close that God basically said, you know what? I can't stand being one minute away from you. You want to come up with me for eternity? I remember thinking, oh, man, I want to be like Enoch. Enoch walked with God. The Bible says 65 years he lived. Then he had children. Then he walked with God for 300 years. I don't know what children did to him. I'm just kidding. But Enoch walked with God 300 years according to the scripture. And then he was no more because God took him into eternity. Also an account of God being present with someone who loved him. So what happened? What changed everything? Sin changed everything. When Adam and Eve sinned, something different happened in their relationship with God that we cannot even explain because we don't know what it was to be like Adam and Eve. And when Cain and Abel, when Cain sinned against his brother, something happened. It separated him from the presence of God. And in Genesis, we begin to see the account of why God went from a God who was very much present and visible to a God who was separated from people to a certain extent. Because, you know, even though God is present, doesn't mean that we let him be present in our lives. Are you with me? So Genesis chapter 4, this following verse about what Cain understood in regards to the judgment of God in his life because of the sin that he committed. Number one, we know that Adam and Eve sinned, and when they sinned, that they were separated from the Garden of Eden, and now they knew God in a different way. But also, there's another verse that paints a picture of this separation of sin, and that's Genesis chapter 4, verse 14. It reads this way. After Cain received the judgment of God that he will no longer work the the land, that the land will no longer produce fruit for him, and that he will be a castaway, this is what he says. Behold, Cain says, You've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. I will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. It's a very powerful verse. And it gives us a picture of the judgment of sin, the consequence of sin. Number one, Cain recognizes, Behold, today I have been dri- you've driven me away from the ground. No longer will the ground bear fruit for Cain. You know, when sin comes into our life, we can no longer be productive and fruitful. For the things that matter to God. You know why? Because sin never gives life. Sin always takes away life. It's interesting how we live for sin, and sin never pays back anything but death all the time, right? And so, number one, he was 
incapable of bearing fruit. Secondly, it says, you have driven me away from your presence. I will be hidden. Your face will be hidden from me. That verse is something that almost makes me salivate. I just, what was it like to see the face of God? Anybody ever think that? What did Cain know that we don't know that he says, how can I live being away from your face? You see, when we sin, God's presence leaves us. Because when we choose sin, we choose to walk away from his presence. Cain understood this. And then he goes forward and he says, I will be a fugitive and a wanderer on this earth. In other words, I will have no purpose. I will just exist. I will go from place to place and never be satisfied. When we sin, we will have no purpose. We will live in this earth, go from place to place and never be satisfied. Go from thing to thing and never be satisfied. And finally, I don't know if that's true for you, but it's true for my life. Anybody bear witness to this? And then finally he says, and, and whoever finds me will kill me. And that's the reality of sin. Sin only pays death. It's all that sin does. So Cain understood this. And he understood this to be the consequence of his sin. But there's something Cain failed to recognize that he couldn't know because it was too early in the history of humanity for him to understand. And that is that sin didn't, wasn't only going to affect him, but that sin was going to affect the generation after him and the generation after him and the generation after them. Sin, my friends, are not just things that we commit that will lead to consequences for us personally. But they always lead to a ripple effect. They seem to almost always lead to a ripple effect affecting all of those that surround us. And for generations, the generation of Cain was not seeking after the Lord. And they had departed further and further and further and further and further away from God. I know some of you are here today. And some of you know what it feels like to be in the presence of God, live in the house of God, encounter it. And you know, grieve the Holy Spirit by a little sin that led to another little sin that led to another little sin, to a big one, to a big one, to a big one. And we get to a place where we say, oh God, I don't even know how to get back to your house if I wanted to. And so was the generation of Cain. The Bible says it wasn't until Enosh was born. And so I'm going to share with you this following verse. We go to the next verse. This is found in verse 26 of that first chapter. God gave to Adam and Eve another son, in place of Abel, named Seth. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And you see what the implication is? The implication is for generation, generations, there wasn't any seeking of the Lord. Finally, somebody said, Oh, we should seek the Lord. So why do we not see this God like we would see the accounts in Genesis of God appearing? And I'll tell you why. Very clearly, the Bible says sin. If we, if we turn to sin instead of God, we cannot lay a verdict that he doesn't exist when we've chosen our own way. Are you with me? Many of people say, well, I don't believe in him because I don't see him. The reality is the Bible paints a picture that we couldn't be in his presence if we wanted to. 
He's too holy. He's too pure. Outside of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, we couldn't be in his presence. Why is it that God is unseen? I believe that part of that is because of sin. Sin has struck us so deep to the core, so far in, right? We're not, we can't be in his presence and we cannot even see him even when he's right there in the midst of us. Now, I just explained to you part of why I believe we don't see God. But I want to tell you why I believe in God even though I don't see him. The question is, why do we believe in God even though we don't see him? And the answer is simple. I believe in God even though I don't see him because of this, because I see him in his works. I see him, I see God in all that he's created. I'm going to read with you this portion of scripture, Psalm 8. The psalmist says, man, God, God, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little Lord and the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them ruler over the works of your hand. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swims the path of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalmist says, I I look at this world and I look at everything that you've created. I am left amazed amazed at all that you created. And on top of that, what are we that you have chosen us to be made into your image? The reality of that. God, how wonderful you are. Lord, our Lord. Not only are you God in the universe, not only are you God creator of the universe, but you're God very much present in the midst of your creation. I believe in God even though I don't see him because I see him in his handiwork. I see him in creation. Now, I want to tell you some things and I hope that you're not offended with me. I believe in Leonardo da Vinci. I believe that he existed one day. Do you know why I believe that he existed one day? Huh? I've seen his works. Undeniable. Some people who know art will say, oh, that's a Leonardo piece. I wouldn't. I can tell you which one is a Lily piece and an Elena piece and a Mia piece. Those are my daughters. I believe in Michelangelo. I believe that he existed. I believe that he created some things, right? And we see it in his works. I've seen the picture of the 12 disciples at the table a million times, right? I believe in, in a strange guy named Picasso. Some people think he made art. The verdict is out to me. Some people really like what he did, right? I never question his existence because I see his works. I even believe in a scientist named Darwin. I've never seen him. I don't even agree with his science, but I believe that he lived, he existed, and I see the mark of what he believed affecting our culture today. Don't you? Absolutely. In the same way, I see creation and I see the signature of God. When the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your ways, are your ways. What he's actually saying is, if I were to 
Here on earth, I look up to the stars in the sky and the way that you suspend everything, and I, I see your signature. And if I were up in the heavens looking down into the earth, what I would see is your very glory glistening over everything that you created, your very signature, the clearing that you are God and that you're awesome. This is what the psalmist is saying. I cannot run away from the reality that everything that I see is woven with your glory and your presence. I mean, just think about the things that we know about nature. Let's start very simple. Think about a snowflake. You know that snowflake, each and every one of them is different. You know that each and every one of them have their own symmetric measurement. They're actually a symmetric deal isn't that incredible that every snowflake has such detail ever seen a hummingbird yeah i've never seen a hummingbird i mean i have a hummingbird feeder but the birds never come to it i think it's because we never put feed in it or something (laughs) something about it needs food i don't know but have you ever seen it on TV on slow motion? Who? Have you seen how that bird, it's just the way that it flies. Who created the dimensions of that wings and the weight of that bird so that it could fly the way that it would fly and operate the way that it would operate? Isn't that incredible? That couldn't have evolved. What would that evolve from? Something flapping on the ground? I'm too fat. I should... Don't give me a complex, though. I mean, what what would that have evolved from? How about a a woodpecker? You know that the woodpecker has a cranium that protects the brain, so as it goes for feed in the wood for warmth or whatever it's looking for, the cranium protects its brain from from it knocking itself to death? How would a woodpecker evolve? How many of them suckers died before it actually... You know, we better grow a cranium here because... There's no evolution for a bird that way. Do you see where I'm getting at? You look at creation and the systems of creation, it's just too complex for us to walk into it and say, well, one day this was nothing, and out of nothing it became something. That just makes absolutely no sense. But how about you? How about you? Have you ever seen the cell and the complex system that is the cell? Even Darwin said, my system is flawed if we find out that the cell is something more than just a simple system. The cell is one of the most complicated systems still being studied today. It's a thing of harmony beyond anything that we've ever seen or heard before in our lives. And you got how many cells that come to life and die every three seconds in you? How about your fingerprint? The fact that it can never be duplicated. That it is unique to you and that everyone has a fingerprint that's unique to them. All of the billion, all of the trillions of people that must have existed in this world, they all have a unique fingerprint. Does that, doesn't that speak of a designer to you? How about your DNA? Huh? How about your DNA? The fact that you have DNA that nobody else has. The fact that in the pin level, pinhead, amount of DNA, you have enough information to cover, to fill books from here to the moon. Enough information in your body to cover, to surround the earth and the sun 300 times. 
information. Information science law declares that information comes from information. So that if there is information in you, it came from something. Where did that information come from? It didn't come from nothing. How about the fact that you get scabs? I said, oh, pastor, come on. Scabs are the coolest things. No, I don't pick my scab. Listen. But the fact that if I scrape myself, all of a sudden my body knows that I'm hurt and it goes to heal itself and it produces a layer to protect me from bleeding to death. How? What did that evolve from? From the breath of God. God spoke and it was. Why do I believe in God? Because I look at creation and you cannot convince me that this came out of nothing. It seems to me it takes too much faith to believe that all of this came out of nothing. So why do I believe in a God who I do not see? Because it's evident to me that he is in all creation. You know, a lot of times I hear people say things like, people will basically, you know, believe that we just came out of nothing, like I've mentioned. And I've posted this today. I don't believe in the Big Bang Theory. I don't believe that we just, out of nothing, something came. But I do believe that God spoke into nothing. And he created something. And I believe that when he did that, it must have sounded something powerful. I mean, the Bible says that the earth trembles at his voice, right? At his voice. That God's speaking at his whispers. There's movement on the earth. Now close your eyes with me if you can. If the earth trembles at his voice, can you imagine what it must sound like when God breathed out stars? Because the Bible says that he breathed out stars. Can you imagine what it sounded like when God took his breath and breathed life into humanity? I'm thinking a big bang limits the glorious sound that is God at work. Another reason people say they don't believe in God, and I think it's one of the most ludicrous reasons, says, I don't believe in God because I believe in science. I don't believe in God because I have scientific facts. A lot of us have bought into this idea. Let me just conversate with you. We bought into this idea that God is separated from science. We've actually bought into this idea that if we have faith, we cannot like science. Or if we are good scientists, that we cannot have faith because we have facts that prove that there is no God. And nothing can be further from the truth. Science is comprehension of the truth. And God is truth. He says to us, seek me and you will find me. God is not against science. So matter of fact, God encourages us to be good scientists. He, God is not against research. He says, seek me and you will find me. <laughs> right? God is not against revelation or discovery. He is the God of revelation. He's always revealing things. Right? God is not even against trial and error. God says, taste and see that I am good. Why don't you taste first? God wants us, encourages us to be scientists, to prove him, taste him. But secular science has made a decision. 
And when I mean secular science, it's science that says we will not believe or seek or accept that there is an intelligent designer. I'm not even talking Christianity. I'm talking a science that says we're not going to accept any answer that declares that there is something that created us. They've made a commitment. We're going to look at the evidence, and when we look at the evidence, we refuse to accept that an intelligent designer created this. While open-minded scientists says, you know what, we're going to look and see. And if we find that there's a possibility of an intelligent designer, we'll say it. Now, which one do you think sounds more biased? Isn't it incredible that we as believers in God have been made to look like fools? Like people who cannot be in educational realms? People who cannot teach science? Yet it seems to me that we're the less biased. We're willing to come to the grips of the truth. The truth is that faith in God is simply faith in God. The truth is that scientists who don't believe in God also have faith in something. They put their trust in something. And I want to share with you, there are two words that are highly abused by a scientific world, the secular scientific world. And those two words are, who can guess them? Facts and evidence. And every time they say those words, facts and evidence, somebody cowers and says, well, I'm not going to say anything because they have facts. They have evidence. (laughs) Oh, well, I don't believe in God because the facts are. That's like laying a trump card. What facts? Where do you get those facts? Who's done that science? And what commitment in your mind did you make before you arrived at those facts? If I make a commitment not to like you, when I meet you, I'm still not going to like you, all right? Because I have a disposition towards you. If I make a commitment not to believe in God and I start doing my study, I've committed myself to something. Does that make sense? What evidence? What evidence do you have? The reality is is that the Big Bang Theory, it's a theory that out of nothing, everything happened. And that nothing has purpose. And each and every one of you, when you hear that, the fact that there, that nothing has purpose and, and, and this idea that, that it's a fact or, 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 or this, this whole notion that, that we're just existing and that out of nothing came something, it sounds ridiculous to you. And even your heart says to you, no, this is, this is wrong. Scientists, even secular scientists have said, it feels wrong, but that's just because we're emotional. Really? Or is it because we've been made in the image of God and the signature screams out, there's more to life than this. Right? Some people would say, I don't believe in God because I believe in science. God is not against science. God is for science. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said to Pilate, I am here to bear witness to the truth because he knew that truth would be on trial and that we would be fighting right now to figure out what the truth would be. He knew that truth would be something that would not be easily accepted in our culture. He knew it. Secular science is based on faith and our science is based on faith as well. The question is, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what are you willing to put your trust in? Then I'll close with this. I believe in God even though I don't see him because, uh, because I see the evidence of his signature and all his work. I, I know that as a Christian, God calls me to be a good scientist, to study the word, to be a good scientist, to know what it is to know him. 
So science and God, there's no separation between And I'll close with this. One of the greatest questions that I get asked of me, and I love it when people ask me this question, is God, Carlos, if God exists, can you explain to me why so much suffering? Why so much pain? Why so much deformities? Why so many terrible, why alcohol syndrome? Why babies born with heroin? If God exists and he is so good as you say, why so much tragedy? When you read Genesis 1 through 11, you'll find something that you and I cannot run away from. And that is this. God has created us in his image. And part of being created in his image means that he's given us the freedom to choose wisdom or choose against wisdom. Which means that he's given us the freedom to choose for or against him. Which means that if we choose, our choices will lead to certain conclusions. The deal with dominion and authority is that God has given us authority. He's given us dominion and he's not a micromanager. You know that one boss you had that one time? He told you to do something and then he took it from you and you're like, you want me to do it or are you going to do it? God doesn't do that. He's not a micromanager. He's delegated authority and dominion and he's given us the entire earth. He's given us dominion. He's given us choice and he's allowed us to. Why was the tree in the garden? Why did God explain the tree? Because he wanted us to be well aware. But he's created us to be in relationship with him. And if we're going to be in relationship with God, we have to make decisions that say we care more about our relationship with you than to be separate from you. It is undeniable from Genesis 1 through 11 to see that choices affect our lives. Adam and Eve chose against God. Cain chose against mastering his sin, and he let his sin master him. Right? Enosh and his generation chose to seek after God. Cain's generation did not. Right? Noah was the man after the heart of God. While he cried for 120 years, repent, come into this boat, come into this ark. And people chose against his wisdom. They built the tower. They wanted to build the Tower of Babel. It was against the will of God. They chose to do so. Choices matter. I want you to hear it. And because of our choices, we are dealing with the consequences that we're dealing with today. Because we've chosen against God. This is the reason why we're dealing with the consequences that we're dealing with today. Because sin is real and the progression of sin is very serious. And I think it is totally unfair to blame God for the choices that we have made. Are you with me? Somebody once said, looking at the crimes that are happening in schools and the situation that happened in New Connecticut, with a a, a man who was possessed went in there and killed all those babies. He says, where is God in the midst of that? Someone says, well, I don't know. When we kicked them out of the schools, where did we tell them to go? It's totally unfair to say, God, I don't want you to tell me how to live. I don't want to hear anything about your rules. I don't want to hear anything about you. And then when we live our own way and do our own thing, when things happen, to turn our face to God and say, where were you? Either he is or he isn't. I say that he is. And I say that your choices matter. Would you stand with me?
Praise God. As we dive into the story, you're going to see choices, a lot of choices. You're going to see people that choose for God, people who choose against him. You're going to see a lot of consequences. You're going to see rewards of those who sought after God, and you're going to see people who hurt because of the decisions that people have made. And the incredible factor about sin is, again, sin doesn't just hurt the person who sins. It hurts a lot of people that surround them, too. You're going to see choices. We are a church that believes in free will. And that means that God has created us to choose for or against him. And I want you to hear something very clear from me today. Your choices matter. You know what I hear a lot of God's people say? They say things like, oh, all things are going to work out. Oh, you know what? My life is hidden in Christ. And I believe that all things work out for good for those who love him and walk according to his purpose. And I believe, I, I believe that God works all things for I, I believe that. I believe that God is kind and that our lives are hidden in Christ. But if we willfully disobey his leading, there will be consequences and things will not work out. Are you with me? And when things don't work out, it's not for us to say, oh, but where was God in the midst of that? There are choices. We have choices to make. So, Father, today as we stand before you, thank you that we're beginning this incredible journey in the story. Today is the day to seek you because you've opened an incredible door. Why so much suffering in the world? Because of the, because of the sin in our lives. Because sin has entered into this world. Because we're suffering. Even many of us can say we've suffered because of the sin of others. It's what happens in a broken world. But you know what, guys? The story doesn't end there. God knew the mess that we would get ourselves into. And by his grace, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that whoever would put their faith in him would not die but have eternal life. It's not talking about the death here, this flesh, but the second death. That we would not enter into eternity separated from God, but rather enter there into life. He knew what we would do, and because of his grace and his goodness, he prepared a way for us. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you forgive us of our sins. I thank you, God, that you've made a way to make right the things that we've made wrong. You make it right, not us. So we declare our faith in your son. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what are you going to do with God? What are you going to do with science? What are you going to do with suffering? I pray that you will make a decision to trust God. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor? I realize that I, I uh, just just pray with me for a little bit. I realize, maybe some of you are saying, you know what? I realize that I, I blamed a lot of my suffering and my pain on God. I've been angry at God, but I realize that some of the things that I went through, they're either consequences of my own sin or really because of somebody else who was operating outside of the will of God. And I realized it's a sin sickness. I cannot blame God for the sin sickness in this world. And today I want to give that over to God. I want to give my anger, my bitterness, my frustration. I realize it's not God's fault. I went through what I went through. And I want to give him permission to begin to heal me. I don't want to be marked by these sins that have so affected my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So many hands. So many hands. 
saying, I don't want to be angry at you anymore, God. I don't want to blame you for the sin sickness in this world. I don't want to blame you for the suffering. Lord, I thank you that you will come in and that you would teach your people to trust in you. This is a daily walk. It's a step at a time. I thank you that for those who are suffering because of the consequence of their own sins, that today you forgive and that you say, it's over, it's over. No more condemnation. You're forgiven. It's over. It's over. And Lord, for those who are here who have suffered because of the consequences of other sins, because of other sins, I thank you, God, that you bring healing to their lives. I thank you that you bring restoration to their lives. And what the enemy meant to destroy, that you can use for your glory and your power to bring life God, to them and those that surround them. Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor, today I realize that there is a God. And today I realize that He did send His Son to die for my sins. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, today I want to make a commitment to serve God. I have no excuses. I have no rebuttals. I know that He is God. And I know that today His Holy Spirit God is telling me right now at this moment, I know that at this moment, I have this moment to give my life to Jesus. If that's you today, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Amen. Amen. Today is the day. You know, I don't only believe in God because of the evidence of his work, but I believe in God because of my personal relationship with him. He lives with me. And he's teaching me to hear him. And today as you raise your hand to accept him into your life, I believe that God is going to teach you to listen to him and to follow his directives. Lord, right now in Jesus' name, for those who raise their hands to give their lives to you, I declare, God, your blessing over their lives. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will come and fill them with your glory, with your presence, oh God. And let their lives be marked by the reality of who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for opening up the book of life and writing their names there, Lord God. Thank you that this is not just about salvation for eternity, but salvation right now, where we walk with you, obey you now, listen to your voice, and learn, Father God, to live a new life, God, where your presence and your Holy Spirit empowers us to live for you. Let that be a reality for those who raise their hands today. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Be good scientists. Go seek the Lord. Taste and see that he is good. Amen. Man, the altars are open if you need prayers today.